You ought to be in Galatians chapter 1 with me. started Galatians last week. I'm going to back up a little bit and start reading in verse 3, part of Paul's introduction, but our focus this morning will be on verses 6 through 10. So beginning in verse 3, Galatians 1, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of of Christ. Now, Lord, would you awaken us to what is, uh, in part, a difficult message, difficult to hear and think through and to understand, but one that is weighty because it presses upon us the weighty issue of faithfulness to the gospel and the terrifying loss with the loss of the gospel. And so, Lord, since we are, as the one song says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, would you awaken in us a tenacious, God-given hold upon the truth of the gospel, awaken it in our children and young people, all of us, Lord, but I think about those coming up, coming up in this world with with its um, assumptions of plurality and the lack of truth and do whatever your own heart leads as opposed to being held steadfast and steady in that which God Himself has given through Christ. And so would you birth within us a tenacity that is gracious, that is kind, but is unflinching in its hold to Christ, we ask in His name. Amen. I don't know if you noticed, but Paul is rather angry as he writes this letter. Rightfully so. How do we know he's angry? Well, because every other letter that Paul writes, if you'll take a look at them sometime, he uses what was the standard form of greeting in the day where uh, immediately after you know, saying who you were and why you were writing, uh, you expressed kind words of thanksgiving and often even a prayer. Romans 1.8, for example, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Uh, Philippians 1 verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And even in Corinth, and you remember Corinth was a mess as a church. And yet in 1 Corinthians 1 4, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. But not here. Here, Paul launches immediately into rebuke and correction. Why? Because here, uh, the stakes are simply too high. The Galatian Christians haven't just fallen into a little bit of error that needs a little bit of correction. 
they are in danger of losing the gospel entirely and thus ceasing to be Christian at all. As F.F. Bruce uh, says, because the Galatians have departed from the gospel, there can be no thanksgiving here. Only the urgency of rebuke and warning in an effort to call them back to Christ. And so this morning, we, Rockport, need to hear this warning because we are every bit as much in danger as the Galatians of being lured away from the gospel and losing our hope and our confidence that come only from the gospel because this gospel is the only message with God's power to save. And so we must be aware, we must hear the warnings. First of all, we must simply be aware that there are false teachers who proclaim a false gospel. How many times does the Bible need to warn us of that before we hear it? Second Peter 2, verse 1, uh, Peter says, But false prophets also arose among the people, and there will be false prophets and false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Acts 20, verse 29, uh, later in Paul's ministry, as he's leaving the elders of Ephesus, he warns them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul says, I know this, probably because he had experienced it in Galatia. And that's exactly what was happening now in Galatia as Paul writes this letter. And frankly, it's caught Paul off guard. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him. This word astonished means I'm shocked. I'm blown away. I'm appalled even. Why? Because they have so quickly turned away from the Gospel that He'd just proclaimed to them. Do you remember Galatians is one of the first places Paul ever went with the Gospel in his first missionary journey. And Galatians is one of the very first letters Paul will write. And no doubt, when he left those churches in Galatia, he felt that they were fairly well established, or at least he, he hoped they were. But now this. And he says, My feet were barely out the door before you turned tail and ran from the Gospel. This word turn away, um, or in the ESV, to quickly desert, pictures a complete abandonment of something. Uh, whether by a soldier who's been given a position to hold in the face of the enemy, but he, he turns and runs away, or, or of a believer who abandons his or her faith and apostatizes, leaving behind that which ought to have been held on to. And so here they are abandoning their faith. No, no, more than that. Notice how personal this is. Again, verse 6, he said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So it's not just a matter of abandoning a theological position. To turn from the gospel is to turn away from God Himself. Because it is only through the gospel, it is only through the gospel that we come to know God and enter into fellowship with God. So in turning away from the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, we are in fact turning away from Christ Himself. Notice in fact three things here as Paul emphasizes this. Notice first of all that this 
This problem that he's addressing is an ongoing problem. The word he uses for to turn away is given in the present tense. So the point being, it's not that they had turned away in some you know momentary twist, but that they are in a process of turning away. Understand, very rarely does anybody fall away from Christ all at once. Just wake up one morning and say, I don't believe anymore. It's a process. It's a series of steps leading you to treasure Christ less and less and to treasure something else more and more. Deconversion takes place a step at a time as you first of all abandon the authority of God's Word and then begin to place authority in something else instead. You, you turn away from relying upon Christ alone in the Gospel to begin relying on something else more and more. And I just wonder, as, as I pray as a pastor, as, I, as we look over the list each week of our congregation and we think about the, the precious people, the souls that God has entrusted to this church, I wonder, could some of you be in danger even now of that process? Could you be in the process of looking away from Christ to something else, of being persuaded to turn from Christ to some other trust, to some other hope, to cease following Him with your whole heart as you follow after something else? Beware. Second, notice that the gospel that they were turning away from is the gospel of grace alone through faith in Christ alone. Notice how Paul says it here again in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ going to a different gospel. So what is this gospel of Him who called you in the grace of Christ? Well, most of you know gospel means good news. It's the good news of salvation. It's the, it's the good news of what God has done in grace to rescue sinners from their sin. And, and we notice immediately that, it, that it's all about Him. It's all about what He has done. The focus is not upon us. It's upon Him. And, and what is it that He has done? Well, Paul says, He has called you in the grace of Christ. Notice that. There's a calling here. We see that many times in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's called you if you're in Christ. Romans three, uh, Romans 8 verse 30 uh, says, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, and it means called to faith through the Gospel, He also justified, counted perfectly righteous in Christ. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Often called the golden chain of, of, of salvation, beginning in eternity past, but, but sweeping through to eternity to come. But it hinges on He, by the Gospel, called you and justified you and made you His. This, this is the effectual calling of God's grace by which He, working through the power of the Gospel, awakens faith in your heart, gives you grace to believe so that you come and are joined to Christ by faith alone. This is the Gospel. It is by grace you are saved through faith, Ephesians 2 says. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so the Gospel announces to us what God has done 
in Christ to save us sinners. It unleashes His grace that works faith in our hearts so that we turn from our sin and put our hope in Christ alone. And so, I just have to ask you, dear one, has this ever happened to you? Have you heard the good news of what Jesus has done in His perfect life and saving death? How He died on the cross to save us sinners and rose on the third day in victory over sin. Have you heard that news in such a way that faith was awakened in your heart? And by the power of His grace, you've turned from your sin and you've put your faith in Christ alone to serve you. Not anything you have done, not any works you've accomplished, not, not, not any rules that you've kept, but solely and completely in the finished work of Christ upon the cross because you've heard the Gospel, faith has been awakened, you say, that's what I need. It's Him. And if you have never come to that place, I would beg you to... To do this now, turn from sin, trust in Christ. Hear the gospel, believe its message, knowing that the very act of believing is the evidence of this grace working within you because all of it begins right here. It begins with putting faith in Christ alone to the gospel. This is what makes you a Christian. This is what makes you one who belongs to Him. Because, second thing here, this saving gospel of Christ alone by grace alone is what... The Galatians were abandoning for something else. Look again in verses 6 and 7. It says, again, I'm astonished that you're deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Not that there is another one. You understand, there is no other gospel. There are no other roads. There are no other options. And so what they are turning from and turning from the gospel, though it goes by the name gospel, it is no gospel at all. And, and so he's not concerned that there's, there's another view of the gospel at work here, a different spin on the gospel, a little different emphasis. His concern is what they are taking hold of is no gospel at all. Hear it again in verse 7. Not that there is another one. There's not. But there, there's not at all. It's not just a difference of opinion I'm having with some other teachers. The problem is there are those who are troubling you who want to distort the Gospel. They want to pervert it. They want to change it. They, they want to make it into something different entirely. But Because once you turn from salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone... You, you don't now have a different take on the Gospel. You don't have the Gospel. That's why Paul is angry. He's angry because there are people out there who are intentionally distorting this saving truth. They're, they're bending it and twisting it. They're, they're, they're mixing it with their own words and their own ideas until it is no Gospel at all, until it has been indeed emptied of its power until it becomes not God's message with power to save those who believe, but a corrupted message that actually damns those who embrace it. Notice, in fact, how he characterizes these false teachers in verse 7. He says that they are troubling you, wanting to distort the gospel. They are spiritual troublemakers. 
That they're unsettling the believer's confidence in Christ alone. And they're, they're, they're upsetting uh, the, the, the faith by fixing it elsewhere. They're, they're moving these believers away from Christ towards something else. Towards something else. You know, whether that something else would be you know, speaking in tongues and saying this, you, you have to be saved to do this. You know, you, 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 if you're saved, you got you got to do this, or to some experience. You know, you got to have this experience in addition to trusting Christ. You got to do this thing over here also, or or just adding to uh, the gospel. You know, something like the Book of Mormon or other writings. That's one of the signs of a false teacher. A false teacher adds to the gospel. They add to the gospel. They say, "Oh, Jesus is great." We're all for Jesus, but you know, in addition to Jesus, you need this other thing. It's, it's faith in Christ plus this other thing. And, and what often happens, often always happens, is that other thing then becomes the thing that it's really all about. Again, if it's all about tongues and it's all about miracles, then notice how very quickly the tongues and the miracles become all it's about. And Christ seems to be left on the side, if it's all about this experience or this commitment uh, or, or, or any of these, something like the Book of Mormon doesn't really become an additional message. It becomes the message. Uh, and, and, and in every error we see, it's like this. It's giving your allegiance, giving your allegiance to a particular preacher or a particular organization, anything that's adding layers and rules and commands on top of the gospel of Christ. In the case of these Judaizers, it was circumcision, the law of Moses. You've got to be circumcised, you've got to keep the law of Moses because Christ alone is not enough. And Paul says, no, 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 no. By adding those things to the gospel, they distort the gospel, they pervert the gospel, they destroy the gospel. What, what, what they have is no gospel at all. It is, in fact, a damnable substitute. It's, it's an alt gospel, a false gospel that cannot save and church, listen, there are many such things running around like that today in the name of the gospel. Which brings us to the second thing. We have to be crystal clear. Those who embrace such a false gospel are under God's curse. They are, and I'm using this word right, they are damned. Verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one you, we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I'm saying again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Strong language. And notice the principle. The principle is, it's the message of the gospel that matters most, not the messengers. Do you get that? You owe complete loyalty to the gospel of Christ. All you got. You owe zero loyalty to those who turn away from the gospel of Christ. No matter how much you like them. I mean, Paul's being hard here. He says whether, whether it's me or an angel from heaven or, or anyone whatsoever, if they come to you with a different message, it is not this message of grace alone, through faith alone in Christ, have nothing to do with them, they're accursed, run from them. Like notice three things that he says here as warning. First, notice the false messengers who must be rejected. Paul gives no quarter here. There's fire 
in his mouth and in his eyes as he speaks these words. He says if they're distorting the gospel like this, if they're moving you away from Christ towards something else, have nothing to do with them, they're cursed. And Paul says, even if it's me. Now think of that. Paul says, even if I go out and turn away from this gospel and begin to preach a different gospel. I mean, come on guys, you know me. You love me. You you trust me. Surely you can just go along with me now. Surely you can trust that, 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 that Paul knows best. No, Paul says, even if it's me. I thought about that this week. I've pastored this church for over 32 years. You know me. In fact, some of you are adults and you've never had another lead pastor. By God's grace, I've had the joy of teaching you the gospel for, 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 for over three decades and hopefully helping you to understand it better and apply it to your life. What if I turn away? What if I set aside the gospel of grace alone through faith in Christ and begin to teach you to trust in something else? Stranger things... I have no intention of doing so, by the way. But stranger things has happened. Well, come on. Don't I get a pass? Can't you just assume, you know, hey, it's Scott. We like Scott. I mean, he wouldn't lead us astray. It sounds strange, but but yeah, we're going to go along with that. Shouldn't that. Isn't that what you should do? Oh, not on your life. Listen, don't you dare follow me even a single step into heresy. Now, check it out first, right? Don't assume because preacher on YouTube said this and Scott says something else, Scott's got to be wrong. Go to the Word. That guy's not the judge. I'm not the judge. The Word is the judge. Make sure you're clear. But the moment I move you away from Christ, I am not your friend. The moment I quit pointing you to Him by faith alone and start pointing you to myself or to something else, honestly, you need to form a committee and get rid of me, and I'm dead serious about that. Why? Because Scott Lee cannot save you. Christ alone can save you. And you must cling to Christ with everything you've got. And if Scott Lee or Warren Kesselring or Kyle Davis, if, if we're not pointing you to Christ by faith alone, we are no good to you. Indeed, we have become a danger to you spiritually. Do you get that? There was a man in the church we were attending when Amy and I were in college and he gathered together a bunch of us young men who were zealous to learn the truth and he began teaching us and discipling us and he had a big impact on my life. I, I praise God that that man was so very helpful to me and held Christ out to me. And he even did the, um, the, did the marriage counseling for me and Amy when we were getting married. A few years later, he walked away. He abandoned the Gospel. He threw it aside. And I can't follow that man one step in that direction. The Gospel that he taught was true. And the Gospel is what saves. Paul says, even if it's me. Or an angel from heaven. I mean, what if an angel appeared to some guy with a different message? You know, that is the claim of Mormonism. 
Angel Moroni showed up and had a clarification. He brought us back to the real gospel you know, the church had lost. Islam. Muhammad crawled into a cave and uh, Gabriel showed up. Both claim to have had an angelic appearance bringing them a new message, a clarification, a correction to the gospel. Okay, so what? I mean, what if it was an angel? Well, if it was an angel, it has to be true, right? Oh, no. Paul's pretty clear about that. 1 Corinthians 11.14, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so if Prophet Snodgrass down the road here has a vision of angels with a brand new message for this day and this age, and he even convinces you with proof that it's true, an angel, probably a demon, showed up in his office and told him this, if his message from that angel contradicts the gospel of grace alone through faith in Christ alone, what must you do? Have nothing to do with it. Declare the man a liar. Understand that he is a deceiver who has been deceived and the gospel that he proclaims is false. Walk away from it. Because even angels must bow to the authority of God's inerrant word and the unchanging gospel that it proclaims. And so just to be clear, whether it's a powerful prophet or a shining angel, if he doesn't bring this message, do not believe him. 2 John verse 10 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this message, do not receive him. Get away from him. Get away from him. If he doesn't have this message of grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, it is a devil's lie. And then notice Paul expands on this warning to include anyone and everyone who preaches a different message. Verse 9, as we've said before, probably when he was with them the first time, or just saying it now as well, so I say again, you know, you, you, just in case you're afraid I'm, I'm, I'm overblowing this, <laughs> I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. So we all have our theological heroes. People we've gained from. People God has used in our lives. For some in this room, maybe it's John MacArthur or John Piper or Paul Washer. I mean, you just name your guy. Thank God for faithful preachers. But understand this. Even the best of men are men at best. And no man is above the standard of God's Word. No man is my interpretation of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ, but the very vital thing there is, as I follow Christ. The minute a man or a woman ceases to follow Christ, they have no claim upon your allegiance. Again, the principle, if it's the message, if the message, I'm going to back up so I don't misstate this. It's the message of the gospel that matters, not the messengers themselves. Boy, that's important to hear when you've got these guys trotting around out there saying, Oh, touch not God's anointed. Well, it's not you, dude. It's Jesus. <laughs> right? As soon as the guy says that, I've written him off. He's, he's, he's hiding a lie behind that. And that's why Paul says, At all costs, cling to this message, even when it means letting go of the messenger. But notice also, more importantly, the faithful gospel we must hold on to. 
Paul characterizes that gospel here in a couple of ways. First, in verse 8, he calls it the gospel we preach to you. Who's the we there? I'll give it to you. It's the apostles. It's the apostolic gospel. It's the gospel preached by, by Paul and Peter and Barnabas and the other apostles handed to them by Christ. It's the gospel you found find writ large in the book of Acts and throughout the book of Romans and Paul's other letters. It's the gospel we're going to see again and again in the book of Galatians. As we've said, it's this gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and there is no other Second, in verse 9, he calls it the gospel you have received. That is, it's the received gospel. That means the gospel God sent down to earth through His Son, uh, which was then faithfully entrusted to the apostles to proclaim just as it was given and written in the Scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to preserve its truth. That is the gospel that we must receive and cling to and then pass on to the next generation unaltered. And so to say this, there is no place for a theological innovator. There's no place for theological innovation. There's no place for addition. Uh, The preacher who tweaks the gospel spoils the gospel. Paul emphasizes that in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5. We had it a part of our confession. Let me just read that to you. You You ought to review this regularly. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You let go of it, you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas and the Twelve and to all these others alive. This is the received Gospel. This is the gospel that comes to us and tells us about Christ. This is the gospel that points us to Him by grace alone through faith in Christ. And I'm going to keep saying that and saying that and saying that until it's drummed into your head and you wake up dreaming it. Because anyone who comes to you with a message contrary to that message. Notice those words, book verse 8, verse 9. Contrary to means set against or out of alignment with this received gospel. Uh, it points in a different direction. It, it, it highlights a, a, a different Lord. They've added to it or taken something out of it so that it no longer points to Christ alone. Have nothing to do with it. That's, that's what Paul is saying in both verses. If it's contrary to this apostolic gospel which you have received, let them be accursed. And that's the third thing. The fierce judgment and curse that falls on false teachers who pervert the gospel. Let them be accursed. Anathema is the Greek word and it's a really strong word. It means let them fall under God's judgment. Let them be damned. Kids, I'm using that word right here. There's a right use. One reason we don't throw that word around callously and sillily uh, and just use it for this and that the way people do is because we, we rob it of its startling reality. To be damned is to be sent to hell. To be damned is to be under the just judgment of God receiving the due penalty for your sins. And it's a terrifying word. 
So when Paul used, is he being too harsh here? No, that's what it means. Let God's eternal judgment fall on him. Listen, Paul's not messing around here. And if what he says offends our sensibilities, well, it's because we don't understand that the stakes are simply that high. Those who pervert the gospel into something less than the gospel condemn people to hell. Because when you dilute the gospel and take away Christ, what you left with is powerless to save anybody. Paul says any man, any woman, any prophet, preacher, teacher, whatever, who preaches a message that is devoid of Christ in His saving power, let them be accursed, let them be damned to the hell they're sending others to. And don't you follow them for even a single second lest you share in their fate. Am I being too strong? Is Paul being too strong? (laughs) I was amazed at some of the people I read who think he is. And they'd say, you know, Paul, he's just speaking hyperbole here. He doesn't really mean it. Well, if words mean anything, he does mean it. That's why he repeats himself. You know, I said it again. I said it before. I'm going to say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Listen, an accursed gospel deserves to be cursed because it damns those who receive it as truth. And so understand, we're not talking here about internal disagreements between Christians of good faith. We're not talking about baptism or eschatology here. Those are both important things. But they're not saving things. They're not central. We're not even talking about your charismatic friend who claims to speak in tongues, but but, but understands that tongues have nothing to do with salvation. Now, if they think tongues have something to do with salvation, they've crossed the line into the other thing. But I have some friends that I believe are wrong in their practice. But if they've got the gospel right, they're my brother, they just, Lord, help them see more clearly. And so we're talking about those who pervert the gospel by adding to it or substituting something for Christ. I'll give you just a couple of examples. We could spend a lot of time on this. We're not going to. But just four examples. First, the Word of Faith movement. Let's be really clear. The prosperity gospel, where health, wealth, and prosperity are the goal, and Christ is just the means of getting the stuff you want through the power of your own godlike words. That's anathema. That is not the gospel. Uh, American religion, where going to church and doing good is all it's about. Voting for the right candidate, supporting the right cause, keeping all the right rules. That's what makes you a good person who is acceptable to God. That's anathema. It's a false gospel. Theological liberalism that minimizes the deity of Christ and the holiness of Christ and sets aside the Bible to exalt man's innate goodness uh, as it rallies us behind a laundry list of progressive causes. Anathema. It's a false gospel. Wave all the rainbow flags you want. You've lost the gospel. The kind of evangelicalism that, that hinges all on the decision that you make that turns you inward on yourself and how you feel, but brings no change of life, no loyalty to Christ, no sacrificial service to Him in yielding all to His Lordship, but instead is driven by entertainment and participation in the culture wars. Anathema. Anathema to all legalism and man-made religion and everything that puts anything between you and Christ. 
and claims an ultimate loyalty to something other than Christ alone as the one who makes you right with God. Now, I'm saying we don't have any concerns about anything else than the gospel. I'm not saying that. There are moral issues. There are, there are, there are even political issues that, that we need to have our team. But anytime those become central and saving, and these are the litmus tests by which we know who is a Christian, anathema. And I would really say anything other than Christ at the center of our fellowship, which binds us together in faith. Because here's the last thing. I need, I need to wrap this up. Be assured of this. Our ultimate allegiance as Christians must belong to Christ alone. Verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Uh, One thing you can know for sure, Paul is no man pleaser. Far from it. Paul didn't care what people thought about him as long as he could provoke them to think about Christ. But that is what his enemies were accusing him of. They're saying something like this, you know, everything Paul is doing is just to get you on his side. Paul's just playing politics here. Paul knows that you really do need to be circumcised and keep the law to belong to God. He knows that. He was a Pharisee. He understands that that's true. But he also knows that you Gentiles don't really want to be circumcised. I mean, what adult man wants to go through that? And so uh, Paul, they say, Paul's playing up to you. Paul's telling you what you want to hear instead of giving you the whole truth like we are. And Paul says, Really? Really? Galatians, is that the kind of man you've found me to be? A man who alters his message to please the crowd? No, they knew better. They knew better. They remembered the way Paul had suffered to bring the gospel to them just a few short months before this. They knew how he'd been slandered and mistreated and nearly stoned to death in two of their Galatian cities, Iconium and Lystra. They, they knew better. Paul's life of single-minded devotion to Christ alone shouted better. As he would later write in 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, or some people believe even maybe before Galatians. You can sort that out later. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, Paul says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now that is Paul's standard. Because the gospel is all important. The gospel is the center of our complete allegiance. The gospel and nothing else. And then he says, if not, that's not where I'm standing, then I'm not a servant of Christ. Listen, those who preach to please the crowd, those who preach to to curry favor uh, with the culture, this end of the culture or that end of the culture, those who alter their message to get a following and to increase their popularity and to increase their numbers, those who do these things are not servants of Christ. And I doubt seriously you're surprised to to know that the word Paul uses for servant here is that word doulos, which means a bond slave. 
Paul says, you know who I am. You know my, my manner of life and my commitments. You know that I'm a bond slave of Christ, that He has captured me with His grace, that He owns me so that all that I am and all that I have and all that I say belongs to Him. And, and all I want to do is be pleasing to Him as His servant. And the way I am pleasing to Him as His servant is to believe in His grace that saves and to proclaim His grace that saves. Oh, dear church, as we go forward, let's likewise treasure the gospel. Which means you've got to make sure you know it. If you don't know it, talk to someone. Talk to one of us. Let's treasure the gospel. Let's believe the gospel. Let's cling to the gospel. Let's proclaim the gospel to all. If Paul, if Warren and Kyle and I get on, the, get on a plane tomorrow and we die... We're gone and we're dead, and, and, and I don't know who the you know who who are the ten most influential godly people in our congregation. I have no idea. But let's just say we pick them all. Those people tend to follow who are now following Christ and have influenced your life. They die. My prayer is that this church wouldn't skip a beat because it's got the gospel. And it would follow that gospel. And you who are younger, 30, 40 years from now, if if Rockport has been anything that we hope to be. Where that will be reflected is you are still clinging to this gospel and following this gospel and refusing to be led astray from it by anyone, including if this church apostatizes. You wipe the dust off your feet, leave the front door, never come back and find a place that will preach the gospel. Because it's that important. God, would you hold us in that gospel? Lord, here we are. So many things are going to be thrown at us in the next year. Lord, I, even if I think of a, of a political year where we, we all tend to lose our collective minds, sometimes with very important issues. It's not light things. Humanly speaking, these aren't light things. And yet these important things can begin to captivate us more than Christ does rather than letting Christ captivate us in a way that dictates everything else. Father, don't let us move an inch off this gospel. Right now I pray for that man, that woman, that child, that young person who is slipping away and none of us see it, but you see it. They're being lured and persuaded by some influential person, some, some TikToker, some YouTube advocate, some friend who's whispering in their ear, maybe a couple of Mormon missionaries who've wormed their way into their house, or just, just a false understanding of their own corrupt heart. Would you call us back to the gospel? Would you, would you help us to see that, Lord, those who would call us away from Christ are, well, Lord, you said it very clearly through your apostle here, they are damned. They are accursed. And we would pray for their conversion. We would pray that they would repent. But God, we don't want to follow them in that condemnation. Because your gospel brings peace and blessing and salvation and cleansing and joy and righteousness and assurance and all those things that, 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 that we need not only for this life, but even more for the life to come. And so center us solidly upon Christ Jesus through the gospel for the sake of our souls and the sake of our children and the sake of your kingdom that Christ may be exalted in all things, we pray. Amen.